Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, I think it was probably like 2013, 2014, somewhere in there, um, I was the associate pastor at St. Paul United Methodist Church in Abilene, Texas. And it is St. Paul United Methodist, not St. Paul's United Methodist. And they will correct you if you say it wrong. Um, and that year, I got a new senior pastor, Eddie Rivera, who's our DS here, moved to St. Paul's UMC here in Las Cruces from St. Paul UMC in Abilene, Texas. And that year, I also got a new bishop. Bishop Whitfield retired and, and uh, actually, well, yeah, and we got Bishop Bledsoe. Um, and then that same year, at the same time, I got a new district superintendent, and I was really uh, not too excited about that because if, and now I'm speaking Methodist, like inside baseball conversation talk, and you probably are wondering, what's that mean? So the district superintendent is my boss. Um, and that's who I, I answer to kind of first and foremost. He's the go-between between me and the bishop. So he's like upper middle management, and I'm a shop foreman, if you want to think of it that way. And uh, I really liked my district superintendent, and I wasn't real excited about him uh, moving to Lubbock and taking a church there and me getting this other district superintendent who I had no idea anything about him. I didn't know any of these Texas people. I was a New Mexico kid. And I meet this guy, George Price, who's my district superintendent, and before long I met his mom. And uh, George is great, but his wife, I mean, not his mom, I met his wife, and uh, George is great, but his wife is better. And um, she kept saying, like, oh, you remind me of my sons. And one time it was her birthday, and she wanted to go out with somebody, some people who were fun. I guess her husband, George, isn't fun enough. And so she invited my family and I to go have dinner with them for her birthday. And she introduced me to her son, who lives in Thailand, via, uh, like, a, uh, like, a Skype call or FaceTime or something. And... And Zach was in Thailand, and I think he had just woken up, like maybe was still in bed, I'm not sure. And his mom is like passing around this phone. And so I met Zach Price, and Zach and Annika live in Thailand with their family, and they do some amazing things. And so, you know, this month I've been talking about I want to do some show and tell. I want to show you some people who are inspiring, and then I want to talk about what it means for us to do big kinds of work together. And it just so happened that last month, Zach sent me a, an email or a text message, I don't remember, saying, like, hey, we're going to be in the States, and just wondering if there, you might know of a church in Las Cruces that would let us come and talk. And I said, I happen to know of a church in Las Cruces, and they might let you. And so, anyway, Zach, you want to come on up? And I don't know, Anika, are you coming up now, or are you coming up later, or are you coming up at all? Okay. So, um, Zach, I don't know what else to say to introduce you, um, but... Uh, Thanks, that was good. Okay, all right, good, I'll sit down. Yeah. 
thanks for taking half my time, Ross. <laughs> Anything else you need? <laughs> no. no, thank you very much, Ross. It's really great to be with you guys this morning. Um, this is my family. You'll see my kids running around. Um, the, um, so I'm from West Texas. My dad was a Methodist minister, so we moved all over the Panhandle and the South Plains growing up. Um, my wife is from South Africa. You'll hear her accent here in a minute. We met... Um, in 2001 at YWAM in East Texas. Um, and she, I told her I liked her, and she said, I like you too, but you'll never make it in Africa. So, um, because she's going back to Africa. So I followed her back to Africa. We lived in Zambia for six years, South Africa for four, both of those working with Christian uh, ministries that did community development work. Um, and we have three really beautiful daughters Ariel, our oldest in the middle is 12. Our middle child on the left side is Zoe. She's 10. And Charlie or Charlotte Ann on the right is eight. We live in Thailand. Just real quick, just kind of give you an understanding of what Thailand's like. Um, 68 million people, whereas like almost all of those are Buddhist. They have a saying that to be Thai is to be Buddhist. I'm just going to take my notes out here. Hold on. Um, to be ties to be Buddhist. There's a small population of, of, um, of Muslims and Christians, but pretty much everywhere you go, every street you walk down, there's a Buddhist temple, there's Buddhist monks walking around. It's very much a part of the culture. However, um, it's, it's really mixed with what we call animism, which is spirit worship. So even Buddha himself taught not to worship spirits, but um, in Thailand, they, they worship their ancestors and spirits of the land. So everywhere you go, there's spirit houses. Um, there's, you know, food being laid out to spirits on every property. There's spirits. This is, this is kind of the scene. Um, a very beautiful culture, very friendly people, very caring people. Um, coming from Africa, which we absolutely love. We love the people of South Africa, but crime was a big problem. We live in Thailand and crime is not a problem, but it's because they would never enter a property that wasn't theirs because they wouldn't want to disturb the spirits. Um, so Thailand is a real mix of rural, poverty, poor, um, but also urban cities, large cities. Bangkok um, um, is one of the largest cities in the world. We live in Chiang Mai, which is the second largest city of Thailand. We have, um, I think, officially 300,000 people in our city unofficially it's 1.5 million because of all the undocumented people living within the city. Um, just real quick, I like to take people through um, kind of principles or values that Anik and I have that I think are universal that if we need to understand or, or we see as transforming truths so that we, that impact the way we think and why we do what we do in Thailand. Um, God is personal. Um, we are created in his image, and he desires to connect with us, to interact with us, um, and to be a part of our world. God cares if people are well. He, he didn't just create us and leave us, but he cares that we, that we thrive. Um, you know, thrive is used all the time, you know, plexus or, or um, you know, commercials, thrive. Um, but he really... 
he really desires that we are walking in fullness um, with him. Uh, man was created to have dominion. Uh, the earth was given to man, and we were to be stewards over it. Um, this is important for me. This is I've, how I think about this really impacts how I deal with poverty. When I see people struggling or or hurting or not having enough food, uh, why is this? Um, and understanding how best to how best what solutions are are out there. How do we deal with this? And having an understanding of how God created us and what he desires each one of us to become will impact how we work with people, how we do community development, how we deal with social injustice. Does that mean? Uh It's about to get... About to get... Where where is it? I'm just going to pull it out. I'll talk, of this, I'll talk a little bit about this um, when I talk about my specific work. Um, man is a rebel. Hunger, destruction, depravity uh, come because man has chosen to sin. Sin has brought a lot of horrible things into our world. And a lot of um, poverty, destruction, people that are lost, not how, knowing how to deal, not just with physical, emotional, spiritual problems in our lives, um, are impacted because of us and the choices we make. Human life is sacred. It doesn't matter who you are, what color your skin is, where you live, how old you are. Uh, human people are important everywhere in the world. Um, all people in all nations have equal worth. That's just adding, adding on to that. So these are the things that, that as Anik and I set out to do our work, as we... As we, you know, we've lived in, we've ministered in three different countries, not including the United States. I guess technically I worked in, in the ministry in Texas, um, uh, for four years before moving overseas. But these are the things that have impacted us and along the way have really kept us going and motivated us to, to make a difference in our world and to serve God. Um, so my work, just talking a little bit about my work, um, there is something that was developed out of Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, so if you know Southern Africa, Anika's from South Africa, which is at the very bottom of the continent. And then you go above that and you have Namibia, Botswana, um, Zimbabwe, and Mozambique. And then above that you have Zambia. So we worked in Zambia. But in Zimbabwe, uh, when we first got married, um, they went through one of the most horrible things in the history of the nation, where basically all of the, and you might have seen this on the news, a lot of the, the farmers, and especially of European descent, um, were kicked off their land and land was given back to the Zimbabweans, but it led to massive famine throughout the land. Um, and one of these farmers that, that lost his farm, um, most of these farmers fled to other parts of Africa, um, South Africa, Zambia, Nigeria, um, Egypt, there's a, there's a small community of Zimbabwean farmers living in Egypt today. Um, but a, a few farmers stayed behind because they had a desire to help the, the Zimbabweans who had never farmed or, or who had never owned the land to now manage the land. And they developed a program to teach God through farming, and it's called Farming God's Way. Um, so I studied with them and became an instructor. 
basically we teach all sorts of agriculture skills um, that lead to understanding who God is as a creator, how he created the earth. And it's, it's just a real practical way to get in to help people um, um, develop, feed themselves, um, provide for their families, for their communities. Um, I learned a lot of the way I think about ministry and I think about development all stems from that. One of the main principles in farming God's way is you, um, if you're going into a new community to work, you never go set up, you know, the kind of the standard MO for missionaries is we like to go find a church. We like to have the pastor host us. We like to have a luncheon, invite a lot of people, give out free food, and then have this teaching. And, and you might get a hundred people there, but a year later, you're lucky if one of them's actually implementing anything you've taught. Whereas with Farming God's Way, you always go into a new community. You start a small garden. You do it small so that you can do it well. And anytime somebody comes and says, wow, your tomatoes look really good, how did you do that? When they ask the question and you answer, then you start to see change. They will go and do that. Ten out of nine out of ten, ten out of ten times, people will come. And we saw, we saw amazing, um, in our lives and in our work, both in Africa and Thailand, we've really seen amazing things happen in people's lives um, through this kind of strategy and being able to share God in this very practical and real way. Oh, I'm going to just go back. Um, so farming God's way, um, community development projects, agriculture. I am a certified instructor with a Specialty Coffee Association of America. I give certified training in... Brist, all the way from the cafe back to the farm, basically. Everything in between. I'm a professional coffee taster. Um, there's about 2,000 of us in the world. Um, it's kind of like a sommelier for wine. Uh, what I do is I can give a point, I can give a point score to any cup of coffee. Uh, not cup of coffee, to any, to any coffee unroasted. But I roast it, but I have a standardized way I roast it, but I grade green coffee. And I can give feedback to a farmer on how to improve his coffee. Um, so most of my work in Thailand is through the coffee industry. I have all sorts of open doors through my profession that allow me to speak into people's lives, allow me to be a light in the darkness, allow me to come in. As you know, we, we oftentimes think, think of need as a lack of something. We think of need as, okay, these people are hungry. They don't have food. Let's get them food. And while that is very true and in immediate relief, that is the best thing to do. A lot of times the biggest hindrances are things like apathy, lack of hope. I've been in communities that had nothing, had people willing to give them everything, but they still a lot of times were unable to manage it or unable to implement it because of a lack of hope. Um, um, it, it's something that you see all over the world, even in the Western world where we're just constantly, you know, have lots of material possessions. Um, apathy can destroy people's lives and only God's hope can break that. Only the blood of Jesus can come in. Every worldly answer to that cannot break apathy. There's always, there's always a back and forth. If there's a worldly answer, there's always an excuse or there's always it's only the blood of Christ that can come in and transform people's lives and break, break apathy. Um, so a lot of my work is in agriculture, showing Jesus to that, consulting, training other missionaries. I want my wife to still talk, so I'm going to try to just show you real quick. Um, the Southern Baptist 
have a group of people only working in the coffee industry. They have about 60 people. The International Missions Board has about 60 people internationally working in coffee. They brought them all to Thailand last year for an international Southern Baptist coffee conference, and I was their speaker. Um, so I, I sent this to my dad right away saying, look, Dad, we're even teaching the Southern Baptist. This is great. Um, and I, I don't even have a doctorate of theology or anything. I, and they're letting me, they're letting me talk. But I, um, I was sharing with them how to be more effective working, uh, in these rural communities. So, um, so a lot of my work, Chiang Mai, where I live, is a hub for people working throughout Southeast Asia and Southern China. Um, so this is just work out in the, the, this was actually a group of pastors from Myanmar, from Burma, that had come across the border to do training. Um, and I was doing, I was training them on farming God's way. And we were actually setting up a research plot. So you can see one small corner on the left there um, has rice um, whole as mulch. So we were setting up research plots and we were had we had different treatments going on on different sections so that they could learn and see for themselves what worked. Um, this is a, a young couple that are, they're both hill tribe people in Thailand. So they're not Thai people, but they're, um, they're actually Aka people. Um, they grew up in Northern Thailand. They're a married couple that's been with YWAM almost 20 years, about the same time I have. Uh, but as his culture, it's his responsibility to provide for his family in the village and they have a coffee farm. Um, so, and they run a hostel for young children rescued out of trafficking rings and prostitution. So, but they needed, a, they've been, you know, like all of us missionaries, you know, we have to figure out a way to fund our ministry and get things. And as Thai people, it's even harder because they don't have a real strong church behind them. So I've given them training on, um, on, uh, sensory for coffee, roasting, and actually when I go back next year, I'll be giving them barista training as well. They've started a roast, a coffee roasting business in order to pro provide for themselves and provide for his family. Um, this is other training. This guy is from Laos. He's a young Christian guy um, that runs a coffee farm in Laos, and he came to Thailand and did training with me. Um, so Annika, we just have a few minutes left, and Annika is going to share quickly about what she does. Does she get a handheld or she yeah, like this? Well, you think I know how to it's clipped on. Hold on. Should I just bring the whole stand, I guess? <laughs> Be aggressive, Ross. There we go. Good morning. Um, so I'm an artist in Chiang Mai, where we live. And to tell you a little bit about what we do, um, I have a piece here that I want to talk to you about. So this is just a small section of a bigger piece that I did with a few friends there. And it's based on a Japanese borrow, which, um, so in 17th century Japan, 
poor Japanese farmers could only afford hemp. Um, it's a very rough kind of fabric where richer people would wear silk kimonos and it's, you know, it's really smooth and feeling very well. But they would wear these garments and, you know, if they dare, they would patch them and they dare another place, they would patch them or they would find little bits of cotton and they would patch them inside because it was a bit softer. And every family kind of had their own little stitches that they would put in there and they started making designs on it. And this garment would be passed down to your sister or then your children. And it would, they were so poor, it, you know, it would be passed down from one generation to the next. And, um, these pieces used to be a source of stigma and shame because it showed their poverty. But now, um, these pieces sell for thousands of dollars because they're these beautiful artworks that tells the story of the generations. So we were really inspired by this and we took, um, some antique Thai textiles and some we, we, we antiqued ourselves. But for us, it told the story of what Jesus does in our lives. He comes, he doesn't just come whitewash over the tears and the brokenness in our lives. He comes and he puts these beautiful stitches in. He makes artwork out of us. He makes, you know, what has come before tells a story of what God has done in our lives. Um, so there's, I have a few smaller pieces that I did in the, in the same vein. So these two ladies are also, Zach talked about the hill tribes in, in Thailand. They are originally, they Korean tribe, originally from Burma. So we make, um, products together that, um, we sell, um, right now more in Scandinavia. But we use, they have beautiful tribal stitches that they use. Um, and some of these skills are getting lost because in some places they have no market for it. Or, um, you know, life just gets so hard and some of the people are so poor they have to work so hard on the land that there's not time for these things that used to be so much a part of their culture. God has um, taught me a lot through Thai art, that you'd go to the market and sometimes you'd find these antique baby carriers or skirts that women um, used to wear in the hill tribes and they'd have these amazing stitches, beautifully embroidered. Um, and God has talked talk to me about who I am and how, how he sees them as a people. We are not just <clears throat> a, a t-shirt you buy at Walmart that costs $5. We are this beautiful piece of work that he has taken time to stitch. The creator depends how valuable the piece is he creates, how much time is spent on it. And God has spent an amazing amount of time on us. Um, I was meeting with some weavers um, from the Hill Tribe areas. Also, this is just what this photo is about. Um, but my prayer is for the people of Thailand that they will come to see this. They will come to see how God has made them and how especially unique God has made them. So, I don't know. Oh, this was a exhibition I did also with a friend of mine um, in the city of Thailand in the main touristy area. And it was about... Ross was talking about being surrounded by a 
you, you talked about prayer, and this was about Psalm 32 that says, I deliver you from your enemies, and I surround you with a song. And how God has a unique song that he sings over each one of us. Um, Thanks, Arnica. That last, um, that last one right there. This was actually this is an art venue. Am I on? Yeah. This is an art venue in Chiang Mai in a real touristy area. So we had Thai people walking through because it's just right on the street. Um, there's a big night night market that everybody comes to. Um, every every tourist that comes to Chiang Mai comes to this night market, and right at the end was this. A little wooden house with a music venue, and back behind they had this old metal building that had never finished been building. And we decided to use this old building as an art studio. It was in the dry season; there wasn't going to be rain, and so we had tons of of tourists and Thai people just walking in, um, able to see Annika's art um, and and ask questions and hear the story of how they were inspired. So. We does agriculture and art save souls? You know, not always. People don't always ask me this, but I imagine that people must be thinking this. You know, like if we talk about missions, um, I'm I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not starting churches. Um, I see myself as showing and being an example of Jesus and loving people where they are in their daily life, Monday to Saturday, and on Sunday too. Um, and we show people that God loves them and they're valuable. Um, we help people with real solutions and come in where there's apathy, where there's, um, there's, there's strongholds and barriers where people may have grown up never knowing that anybody cared about them, even their own family, much less God, some, some being, some eternal being that created them. And we get to do that. Um, it doesn't matter if we're doing that through agriculture, on the farm, in the church. We get to show them that they're valuable. We get to introduce biblical thinking into people's everyday lives. These are people that are Buddhist. They, they like Jesus. I've taught in a temple about Jesus. And they think Jesus is great. But they're not ready to give their lives to Jesus. Um, they're, not, they're not ready for somebody to come in and say, Okay, we're going to have a church and you should be a part of it. Um, they're not open to that, but they are open um, to being helped with food, with agriculture, with sewing. Um, and we get to teach them how to think big. We get to show them the Bible through these different things, show them how God created things, how he created the earth, how he created them, and introduce them to the Bible in a very story, practical way. We prayerfully speak life where there are strongholds of apathy and despair. Um, we are prayer warriors in a country um, where, where there's not a lot of presence of prayer. This is actually a slide from my last church. I meant to take that out. Sorry. <laughs> that was saying thank you. Um, I spoke in West Texas back in the summer. So, All right, that's it. I don't know. Can I get that one off? There we go. Thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. We know we went over probably a couple minutes. Don't, uh, don't go anywhere, though. I have, I have some questions for y'all. Oh, yeah? You want to come up here? 
Um, so when I think of missionaries, you know, kind of traditionally, uh, when I think of missionaries, I think of people who, and this is may or may not be accurate in a general sense, but I think of people who live uh, in another country for a short period of time and they're there uh, kind of working on a project, maybe helping a pastor in that country get their church going, <clears throat> maybe starting a church, um, but not there, like not part of the place that, that they're a missionary to, right? And so one of the things, Zach, that I appreciated about you when we first met is I took you to Anne's Thai kitchen in Abilene and Anne's husband came out and you started talking to him in Thai and you had this whole conversation and then you started talking about food and you started talking about what you were doing there. And I was like, this guy doesn't just like stay in Thailand. He and his family live in Thailand. And so what's that like to be, um, so here, I guess here's my question. Are you missionaries or do you live in Thailand as Christians who are trying to, to change lives there in the name of Jesus? Or is it the same thing? Yeah. Um, it is the same thing. Uh, sorry, did you want to? No, go for it. <laughs> it is the same. It is the exact same thing. It looks different in different cultures and different societies and, um, different cultures invite you in differently, accept you as part of them, or only let you in a certain way or a certain to a certain um, amount within their lives. But ultimately, um, um, they, those two things are one and the same. And some places you have the freedom and the availability to come in as an authority and to come in and introduce people to a completely a new thing, a new, new principles, a new way of thinking, a new spirituality, if you will. Um, but other places you don't have that authority and you have to just come in and live life and love and serve, um, until people give you opportunity in their lives to speak. Um, and so you can't, you can't, you can't separate those two are one and the same. And, and, um, yeah. I don't, anything you want to add to that? So I, I heard you, Annika, two different times in three to four minutes that you were talking, say, this is something that I learned from these people. And this is something I learned from these people. And that goes against what I've always thought of missionaries also. I've always thought of missionaries as people who are going and like telling and teaching. And, and you were saying like, I mean, I get the sense that you do that, but you also have stories to tell of things that you have learned about God through your experiences of serving other people. Say something about that. Yeah, I think um, if we do not get to know people's culture and how they think and how they do things, we can't really explain God to them in a way that would make sense to them. Because we, I mean, Zach and I being from different cultures... Uh, Western cultures, but we think very different about things. So to even go to a culture that is so much different than our own, we can't think that we could just teach them in a way that we were taught and that it will be understood that way. So I think we have a, a lot to learn from other cultures, and there's so many beautiful things to learn. Yeah, but not just learning for the sake of delivering our message, no. but there's actually 
there's actually God-designed things in every culture. God created these people. He loves them. He, he gave them and blessed them with certain things. And there's amazing parts of Thai culture, Eastern culture. Um, just being a part of this service this morning and having a time of meditation is something you commonly see in the East that you don't get much here in the West. In the West, we don't take time to pause and center ourselves around, around Him. Um, and you see these things, and we have so much to learn. Not that we can, you know, um, med- meditation is like any other exercise or practice. It can be done well, or it can be done abusively, you know. And so we, there's amazing, amazing things that we learn from every culture that we've been a part of. And I think a big part of that for us is having to learn from one another, her being South African um, and me being Texan. And and all the differences we've had to overcome um, in our marriage. So, Texan's the strangest of all of those. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's the most foreign country I've ever been to. <laughs> You're speaking to the right crowd here. Say that. Um, so if you if you had one thing to say to us uh, to teach us about living our lives as missionaries, what what would you say? You want to say something? Um, I would say that that living a life that God can use to minister to others is is much more practical than we think. I grew up a preacher's kid, and I got the question from a young age: Are you going to be a preacher? Are you going to be a preacher? And every time I'm like, No, no, no. And then I went to missions, and I'm like, Still no. And I'm like, Well, kind of seems funny. I'm in missions, but I'm still like, No, I'm not going to be a preacher. Um, but God, God, I, I use my hands. I'm practical. I went to vocational high school. I learned carpentry. I ran a timber mill. I love working on the farm. And that's how God uses me. And I think any, the most important person I'd say, thing I'd say to anybody who wants to minister, whether it's next door or internationally, is that God uses the practical. He uses your skills. He uses everyday life. The relationships that He's going to work in in your life are the ones that you're interacting with Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday. Um, those, are the, those are the relationships that he's going to move through and work in, teach you, and use you in. So, Yeah, I think that's, it's very important to look at how God has made us because I think that's what, when it makes a difference in other people's lives. I, I tried for years to be a, tr- a missionary in the traditional sense, and I was very bad at it. Um, but when I started using what God has given me, being an artist, um, it just opened a whole new world to me and how to speak to people and how to connect with people in a way that I've never felt I was able to do. So um, it does not just happen. It happens in the church, but it does not just happen in the church. It happens in, in every day in the practical things. So, so if uh, somebody wanted to get their hands on some of your art, how would we do that? Um, um, we have, I have to go get it in the car, but I have some small greeting cards and calendars that we are selling, but otherwise online. Otherwise, <laughs> look us up on, or actually, I don't know why, we'll have to, in the next service, put it up there, but we have a website. Uh, we're five, you know, our th- us two and our three daughters, so we call ourselves price5.org. So we have a website. You can see her art on there. People will contact her, commission her to do art pieces. Um, in two weeks' time, she's actually going to Houston to a, 
a large church there and putting on an exhibition, which all of our art from that exhibition will be on sale. And um, that's all done through Facebook and our website. So, yeah. Any questions? You probably weren't expecting questions from the <laughs> audience, but. Oh, so let, let's repeat yeah. the question because sometimes people can't hear. So Kevin was asking if they've had to overcome the reputation of previous ministries uh, in 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 Asia. Yeah, um, you know our time in our time in Southern Africa, it was confined to previous ministries. Whereas in Thailand and and most of Southeast Asia, is it's just confined to foreigner, a white person, you know. Um, has a very bad reputation. Um, tourism is is Thailand's largest industry, so they see lots of foreigners every year. And one of the largest groups of tourists is sex tourism. So if if you see a man my age or older walking through the airport alone, or only two of them, you know they're not just there to see the mountains and and experience the culture. And so we um we have to. I, they're very friendly and welcoming people as well. Um, so, but, so it's not to say we have to overcome all of that necessarily, but we're definitely out to prove that, uh, we're not there for those reasons. And I don't think we have to prove it very hard. I think after, after a little bit of interaction, they quickly notice we're not just some guy or some girl that's there for a short time for holiday, but we really care about the people. But yeah, it's a real thing. There's in our city. There's about three thousand expats living, um, and sorry, three thousand American expats, ten thousand total, um, and and each one of them has their own reasons and purposes for being there. Um, majority of them don't speak Thai, because um, you can get around in English. But does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, there there is other ministries that have worked there in the past, and um, I think all of them God used and has done great work. And so it's not to say we have to overcome other ministries in the sense of bad theology or anything like that. But a lot of times we have to overcome their perception of of who we are and what our objective is being there. It, we do not have immediate trust as foreigners, as white-skinned people, um, we are immediately distrust. They're very friendly, they're open, they're hospitable, they're smiling, but there's not trust. Trust takes time to build. So, there's another question. Okay. Okay, so, um, Zach told me one time in Abilene that he's really bad at asking. <laughs> So I'm going to ask for you if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, missionaries do work that we don't. It's not that we can't. It's that we don't. And as followers of Jesus, I have this really deep belief that one of our jobs is to support people to do ministry that we don't or can't do. And there are multiple ways that we can do that. And I think of it kind of as in tears, right? Like, First here is you pray for them and you support them and you kind of follow what's going on in their lives through their website and that sort of thing. But 
what, what missionaries need as much as prayer is they need financial support. And so, um, Michelle and I are committing to support the Price Five, um, as they're doing the work in Thailand that we can't do because our calling is not to Thailand. Our calling right now, at least, is to Las Cruces. And so I would like to encourage all of you to have conversations with them after this service to figure out how you can support them also. Um, I was asking Zach what, who they're, like how much money their largest, um, church that gives to them is. And it was like $3,000 a year or something, right? Yeah. Which I was shocked. I was thinking like 10, 15, something like that. And so it would be amazing if Morningstar became their biggest supporter. Uh, just by individuals giving $30 a month, $100 a month, whatever it happens to be, to be able to support them so that we have some missionaries that we're connected with that are doing work and we have a relationship and they'll come back. They come back to the U.S. a lot and, or no, I don't know about a lot, but at least once a year, right? No? Uh, it feels like y'all were there every six months. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That was on FaceTime. In six years, this is our family's second trip. So oh, average wow. every three years. Okay. But I come back, I try, one of us tries to come back more to connect with, I came back in the summer and spoke with churches in West Texas, so we do come back in order to stay connected and share what God's doing. Yeah, so the church in West Texas, one of them that he's talking about, we have a connection to St. Stephen's in Amarillo, yeah. which is Travis's uh, current current church, and so they've got a connection there also. Anyway, um, pray about it. But more than pray about it, do it. Do something to support, whether it's Zach and Annika or some other missionaries that you have a connection with. We should be the kind of people that support missionaries. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us and helping us think about what it means to be missionaries in our world.